Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your host, Dr. Doug Carriger. Is it great to be back with you folks and uh, as we move along and as we go through this 155th podcast, Stephanie, and uh, as we go on, we're in the book of Job. We're in chapter 21. Job has been problematic at times with us because we can see so much within us that we also see in Job. We can see mm-hmm. where people have hurt us, where people have done us wrong, where people have tried to ruin our identity, where people have tried to do things sideways to us, where people have been upside down with us. We can see all those different things going on. But here we are in the book of Job. And, you know, I think, Stephanie, more than anything else, uh, I think more than anything else, Job is a manual, is a manual on how not to treat other people and how not to let yourself get treated. Good morning, Stephanie. I mean, what do you think of that? Do you think it's a manual for how not to abuse and how not to be abused? Morning, Doug. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that. Um, God didn't give us this book to depress us. I think he gave us this book to give us some insight, some wisdom on how to handle or not to handle situations. And um, there's a reason that God, like I've said numerous times, went out of his way to begin this book by saying, just so everybody knows what's going to happen in this book is not because Job sinned. Yeah. Because he knows human tendency and he knew what was going to come in this book of what Job's three narcissistic, quote unquote, friends were going to do to him. And, um, you know, when I look at Job, I see someone who not only had PTSD from all of the trauma he had been through um, with losing everything, his his possessions, his land, his literally everything on top of that, losing his 10 children. Joe went through the trauma of having the people that he considered to be his best friends turn on him and shred him into tiny little pieces. And then um, to con, I mean, this goes on and on and on. And God is definitely giving us an, from where I say God is giving us as Christians, as friends, as people who want to help others, some guidelines here of just, you know, don't do this. Yeah. Um, don't approach people this way. I think that's a huge point. God, whether he says that or not in these chapters, he doesn't come out and say that, but God was listening and God is not going to, he's not happy with Job's three friends right now. Right. And he's going to come back and that that's going to be dealt with later on here in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think here we are in Job 21. Probably the best thing for me to do is read chapter 21 at this point, then get to the questions. And so let's go ahead and do that. Starting in verse number one, Job chapter number 21. Uh, But Job answered and said, hear diligently my speech and let this be your consolations. Suffer me that I may speak. And after that I have spoken, mock on. As for me, it is my complaint to man. And if it were so, why shouldest not my spirit be troubled? Mark me and be astounded. And lay your hand upon your mouth. Even when I remember I am afraid, and trembling taketh hold of my flesh. Wherefore, do the wicked live? Become old? Yea, are mighty in power. With a question mark. Their seed is established in their sight with them, 
in their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not, their cow kelveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, their children dance. They take the timbrel and the harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in the moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we could serve him? And what profit should we have we pray unto him? Lo, their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How oft is the candle of wicked put out? And how oft cometh the destruction upon them? God distributeth sorrows his anger. They are as subtle before the wind and as chafe that the storm carrieth away. God layeth up his inequity for his children. He rewardeth them and he shall know it. His eyes shall see his destruction. He shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what pleasure hath he in the house after him when the number of his month is cut off in the midst? Shall any teach God knowledge? See, and he judgeth those that are high. One dieth in his full strength, being wholly at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul, neither eateth with pleasure. They shall lie down alike in the dust, and the worms shall cover them. Behold, I know your things, your thoughts, and devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me. For ye say, Where is the house of the prince? And where are the dwelling places of the wicked? Have ye asked them, Go by the way, and do ye not know their tokens? That the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction, that shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Who shall declare his way to his face? And who shall repay him what he hath done? Yet shall he be brought to the grave, and shall remain in the tomb? The clods of the valley shall be sweet upon him, and every man shall draw after him, and as are innumerable before him. How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers they remaineth falsehood? Whoa! Hey, Job's being more of a gentleman than he was with his last answer, but he's definitely slapping away at them, Stephanie. He's definitely mm-hmm. pointing out that, you know, the wicked do some. The wicked look pretty good, too. The wicked got some great things going on. Hey, the wicked the wicked pull off a lot of different things. I mean, he may be slapping away. He's doing it diplomatically, I think, more so. But he's reminding them that, man, the wicked go through stuff, too. And uh, and, and the wicked can do that. And the wicked live through those things. And and, and I think that's good. I think that, uh, you know, he's... he's He's, he's dealing here with, with uh, uh, you know, Zophar's second speech, and, 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 you know, this is kind of his response. But I think it's more than that. I think it's, I, I think he's, you know, he's thoughtful. He's building a defense. He's, he's asking them to please listen. He's asking them to pay attention. He's talking about how wicked can prosper, how they have some of yeah. the similar things that the godly have. Uh, yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's just going through this stuff, and, and, and he's talking about how he's starting to see clearly, I think, and how children are established, how they're secure. I mean, what comes to your mind when you hear Job here in uh, chapter number 21 and you hear his response to Zophar? What's your first thought? I think Job's very much trying to, to confront these three guys with the fact, because they've had this 
their whole preface for every single one of their blasts that Job has done that because you, you know, this all happened to you because you're wicked and because you sinned, because this is how God deals with the wicked, period. And Job comes back with them saying, um, no, sometimes the wicked prosper. Sometimes um, their seed seems established. Their houses are safe from fear. The rod of God, neither is the rod of God upon them. Um, in other words, sometimes the wicked seem to be having a pretty decent life. And um, Job is, is just saying, you know, not always does their life um, look like it's all bad. And then he talks about when they reject God, how God will deal with them and how God will distribute sorrows on them in their, in his anger. And so I think he's coming back saying, guys, there's two sides to this coin. You know, God deals with the wicked graciously. He deals with them with their sin. Um, and you're, you're coming at me saying, he says, behold, I know your thoughts and the devices which you wrongfully imagine against me. And he says, um, have ye not asked them that go by the way? And do ye not know their tokens that the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction? They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. And it's interesting here because it was like Job was looking ahead to something that how did he know? How did he know about the day of judgment, day of destruction? How did yeah. he know? Um, about it's almost like he's talking about the great white throne judgment here where the wicked, the wicked have their payday. Um, it's not always going to be right now. And I, I have to wonder, is that something God just revealed to him? Has to um, yeah. Cause he didn't have the Bible. He didn't have the facts he had. Now, granted, I'm sure he had heard about the flood and he had seen that God deals with sin. And I'm sure that was affecting how the three friends looked at life. Um, but Job's saying God's in control yeah. who shall declare his way to his face and who shall repay him what he hath done yet shall he be brought to the grave and shall remain in the tomb. The clods of the valley shall be sweet unto him and every man shall draw after him as there are innumerable before him. How then comfort ye me in vain seeing in your answers there remain this falsehood. I think he's ending this chapter with pleading his case again that I haven't sinned. I, I understand the wicked have good, the wicked have bad happen to them. I get all of this, but I'm still maintaining that if this is how you're trying to comfort me, it's full of emptiness because everything you're coming to me, you know, everything they were coming to him, Job, bringing to Job, confronting him with, it was, he says, it, it had falsehood in it. There remained a falsehood in it. Your answers, your comebacks, your accusations, they're full of falsehood. Yeah. And um, I think Job's, you know, his brain at this point, I can only imagine how tired he was yeah. as, he, as he dealt with these guys. And God doesn't tell us how fast did these conversations happen. You know, I've wondered how, how long of a process how many days was it days was it hours i mean it was for sure hours but how much time was being covered here um because it seems like it was a tit for tat the whole time of going back and forth and um job does i agree with you in that this sentence or in this um chapter he seems like he's trying to come at them a little more humbly in the sense of he doesn't say i'm i'm in, i'm not inferior to you nothing like that 
Um, in verse two, he just, or verse three, he says, suffer me that I may speak. And after that, I have spoken, knock on. At this point, it's like, I'm not going to change you guys' mind. I'm going to answer you. And in that sense, I'm going to plead my cause. But he's like, when I'm done, just go ahead and knock on. He's not, he doesn't have hope at this point of changing their opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think the way he comes out of the shoot, Stephanie, right there in the beginning of, of chapter 21, it's, it's almost like he says, you know, he says, uh, but Job answered and said, hear diligently my speech and let this be your consolation. And then in verse three, suffer me that I may speak. So he's basically saying, hey, give me a chance here. You know, let me, right. I, I'm going to be, you know, I am not going to come off as a crazy man or somebody who's mad at you or something to that effect. I really want to talk to you. But I think, you know, I think more than anything else here, Stephanie, I think, you know, I think Job is seeing the era in his friends. I think we're mm-hmm. seeing the era in his friends and where they're coming from and, and what's wrong. You know, as of this point, again, there's three friends on the scene and they all mm-hmm. seem to be going down the same road. And, you know, maybe this is a picture of how, uh, you know, pre-Christianity was. Uh, maybe this yeah. is a picture of thousands of years ago, how things were, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's a kindness that everybody can find within themselves. And one of the biggest problems I think we have, uh, Stephanie, is those of us who know the Bible, live the Bible, love the Bible, read the Bible, and it becomes part of our lives. And hopefully it becomes our identity and essence that, that we want to be more Christ-like. Uh, there's a kindness that we can find in our hearts called the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's a kindness and there's there's a leading. And, uh, you know, they don't have the Holy Spirit leading them. I mean, does, you know, uh, so it's easy for me to sit here. I guess what I'm saying to your friends is it's easy for me to sit here and have this conversation with Stephanie and and put it together and say, well, they're, you know, the Holy Spirit should be doing a work in their heart. But the truth of the matter is they don't have the Holy Spirit. Yep. And, uh, you know, all they have is what's been modeled to them. And it's my belief, and Stephanie, I may be way off on this, all right? I'm, you know, I'm banging through commentaries and, and different things like that. But it's, it's my assumption here, really, is that, uh, you know, Job was probably the most spiritual out of the bunch because the, the book began saying he was the best. The yeah. devil wanted him. The devil, he was going to and fro looking for somebody that was good. He didn't want to go against somebody that was of no value. He wanted to go against a great, great godly man. And so I think that probably from this whole group of men, probably if you were to line all four up and ask God the question, I think he's answered it already in the book of Job, and say, who of these men was the most spiritual? Who was the leader? Who was the most successful? All those things, it would come back on Job. And the error they're making is they're not seeing that. You know, they're not allowing, they're not allowing Job, uh, you know, his words. And, and they're not persuading Job. You know, another error they're making is they're not persuading Job to throw the towel in. I've thought from the beginning, I don't know how you feel, Stephanie, but I've thought from the beginning of this that, that you know, there's a nefarious motive behind this. Whether it be get Job to kill himself, Job run around town saying, I'm no good, I'm a piece of junk. Whatever the case may be, they didn't pull it off. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's what I'm seeing here. I mean, it is, are you feeling what I'm feeling with that or? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is important. Like you said, 
And this is where I come back to how did Job have such confidence in the Lord? He didn't have the word of God the way we have it. He didn't even have the Pentateuch. And yet his faith was steadfast. And he didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament saints didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them 24-7 the way we do. Um, and so the, the faith factor here for Job is tremendous. And, um, yeah. and the fact that his faith is staying steadfast through all of this is is incredible to me. Yeah, he's steadfast in trials like the song we wrote. He's steadfast in trials. <laughs> He's, you know, I'm glad to be back at this place because honestly, you know, the last 19 or 20 chapters have freaked me out. And I, I know they were important. And you and I, I've, I've been trying uh, to persuade both of us, you and me, uh, that we had to do the book of Job. And I'm glad we have now because we're getting to that place where Job's standing up and saying, hey, I'm, you know, I represent a great God and uh, I'm not buying into what you have for me. I, I don't believe it. You know, the wicked, they die too. And, and the wicked, they have money too. And the wicked have big houses too. And the wicked have servants too. And the wicked have good looking wives and husbands. And, uh, and the wicked, you know, he could go on and on with that. Mm -hmm. He's saying, listen, it goes both ways. You know, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that, you know, when, when we're saved, I mean, life's just on automatic pilot. People, people believe, Stephanie, that you're some kind of super Christian. I had a lady mm -hmm. tell me that one time that you're a, super Christian because you're taking care of eight kids and you. And I mean, be truthful. Are you a super Christian? Oh, my word, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> Very much a normal person who um, honestly struggles with more things now than I did two years ago. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think, I, I, I think what people need to grasp from this, I, you know, every time you and I are looking for practical pieces here, and the practical piece here is we're normal folks. We all got to cross the bear. We're all going through different things. And I know that some people don't make it to the place where Stephanie and I are at. By the time I graduated from high school, I had lost a friend in my very small high school class. By, uh, by the time I was 30 years old, we were down two. Uh, by the time I was, uh, uh, you know, 50 years old, we're down five. And uh, by the time, and you can just keep going. I get that God has given us a gift, Stephanie, and he's given us this gift. And somehow through the trials, I think the practical approach is through this trial, through these trials, whatever our trial is, through these trials, I think we need to come out the other end godly. And, uh, and, yeah. and so I've, I've asked this question seven different ways. But the quick, down, and dirty, how does somebody come out the other end godly? By turning your eyes upon Jesus and looking full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the, in the light. light of his glory of grace. Wow, that song says it all, that one line. And uh, turn your eyes on Jesus. And folks, we're going to be in these trials. We're going to live these trials, these trials. And, you know, in a way, they may identify us for a little while. Well, that's Doug. He went through this or that. And, uh, you know, in the last year, I've had foot surgery, a car accident with Debbie, Stephanie, Stephanie's kids. I, I've been through some things that some of you can remember and identify with. I was real sick in March, uh, you know. Uh, but the truth is, what I want to identify with is the love of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to be different because I'm saved, Stephanie. I want to be different yeah. because God saved me. And, and, and I think Job's trying to point out that there's no contrast between the wicked 
and there's no contrast between the righteous. And I mean, what, what are you thinking, Stephanie? Is there a difference in the way we live? I mean, when you drive down the street and you see a guy in his yard mowing his lawn and he's wicked and the guy next to him is righteous and he's mowing the lawn, can you tell the difference? Really? No, not a lot of the time. And there's that, I, I'm trying to remember if it's in Ecclesiastes, where, but, but um, whoever wrote the verse, um, obviously God inspired it, but that God sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Yeah. And we serve a loving and gracious and merciful God. And I think Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar are filled with themselves and they're filled with pride. Yeah. And they view themselves as, I, I, I am suspicious, but those three guys hadn't had any serious trials in their life. Because their whole preface is, if you've been through a trial, you're wicked, you're in sin. And if they had been through something serious, they, that would not have been their approach. And so um, I think a key to come away with is we serve a loving and gracious and merciful God. And if he allows a trial into your life and you know there's no sin in your life, step, take a step back, take a minute to breathe and say, okay, God, I don't understand your ways, but I know that as for my God, his way is perfect. And I know that your word is my buckler and my shield and my lamp and my light. And when you come to a trial as a child of God with that perspective, you don't have to ask all of the, well, why is his life so perfect and mine isn't questions? Um, because it's like, I trust my God. And though his way may not make sense to me right now, and though it may seem like he's angry with me right now, I know he loves me. And I've said several times to a young lady this past week, if Jesus loves you enough, loved you enough to die for you, don't you think he loves you enough to walk this path with you? Don't you think he loves you enough to protect you and to give you help and guidance and strength? Yeah. And that that verse where, jo where Job said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. And that is a very hard verse to come to terms with. And I remember yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. when I was facing the liver tumors coming to that of though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's hard, man. That's a, hey, hey, folks, you know, we hate to close this way, but we're on a high point. And the high point is this. Listen, there's a lot going on with Job here. And uh, Job's looking for God. There's people trying to tell him what God is and what he looks like. Don't let them get to you out there. We love you, folks. Make sure you come back tomorrow morning. Hey, take a few seconds right here, if you would, and listen to this very special message I have for you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. One of the more exciting things about our ministry is being able to tell people how they can know for sure they're saved and believe in Jesus Christ and spend eternity in heaven. The Bible tells us there's four things we need to know to be saved. The first thing it tells us is we're all sinners. The Bible says there are none righteous. It says that everybody in the world is a sinner. The second thing that the Bible teaches us is there's a price on sin. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. The third thing and the good news that the Bible teaches us today is it says, but God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners before we were even born, Christ died for us. So we can know we're a sinner. We can know there's a price on sin, but thank God that Christ died for us. Then the Bible says we must speak it in our mouth and believe it in our heart that all we need to do is pray to God, believe it in our heart that Christ has died for our sins and ask him to save us in Jesus Christ's name. And you know what, folks, he will. If we can do anything to help you in that area, please send us a message. Thank you very much for your time.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources and to help continue this podcast, visit us at woundedspirits.com.